0: Just think about the stories we tell and the movies we see around the Christmas season. So so much of it is fictional, isn't it? Like, there's Frosty, the magical snowman. There's this bullied reindeer who teaches us that everyone really has a place in this world. <laughs> there's the elf on the shelf who inspires and terrifies children and exhausts parents who are Googling ideas when the children are sleeping. I'm not mad about it. I'm not a Grinch when it comes to Christmas. But, but I've noticed that so much of the season, the Hallmark movies, is about emotion. These stories that we tell, just to to get to the heart and to have a moment. And I'm not against emotion, but but here's the thing. Our feelings are fickle. And they don't last. And Christmas comes and goes and you go back to the facts. You go back to reality. But that's why I love the Christian version of Christmas. (laughs) Because if you would read the Gospel of Luke, which has the longest version of the Christmas story in the Bible, you would find out that feelings are definitely not the focus. I mean, modern people, we want to know, like, what was Mary thinking when she was traveling from her home 90 miles while eight months pregnant? We want to know about Joseph, who can't find a, a place to stay to deliver a child. And now here he is, a carpenter with calloused hands, delivering this baby. What is he feeling? And you know what the Bible doesn't say. Because Luke's gospel isn't really focused on the feeling. It's focused on the facts. In fact, when Luke originally wrote in the Greek language in the first century, the very first word that he starts the Christmas story with is, it happened. One word in the Greek language, it happened. And Luke actually repeats that word five times. It happened, it happened, it happened, it happened. So why is Dr. Luke so fixated on the facts? Well, because he wants you to be certain of the Christmas story. Listen to what Luke chapter 1 says. Uh, Luke's writing to a man named Theophilus and he says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." See, Luke didn't want this friend of his, he doesn't want you just to have some feeling that's fickle and disappears. He wants you to have certainty. Like something rock solid that you can put your heart and all of your life upon. And that's such good news for all of us, isn't it? Because whether it's the Christmas season or Valentine's Day or Midsummer, we don't just have, like, fictional issues. There's real stuff that we deal with. And there might be real drama at your workplace. There might be real division in your family. There might be a real disease in your body. A real death that you're really facing. Maybe there's real guilt and real shame that you're feeling because of a real sin that you committed not once and not twice but dozens, hundreds of times. And that's why I love the Christian Christmas. Because Luke is telling us that it happened. There is a real Savior who was really born And he really grew up and really died on a cross. He really rose from the dead so that God could look at you and he could really say this, I forgive you. That he could really smile and promise, I'm I'm not mad at you. (laughs) And so Frosty comes and goes and we hear the tale of Rudolph and we put the elf on the shelf and then back in the box. But here's what lasts. It happened. Christmas happened. And that's really good news. So let's pray. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you for actually coming into this world. I thank you for your real birth and real life and real death because it gives us real hope. I pray during this Christmas season, when we see all the the symbols and the signs and we hear the stories, that we would look at you in the manger and we just remember, in the quietness of our hearts, that that actually happened and therefore there's real good news for people like us. Fill us with joy this Christmas and peace and let that joy and peace last long after the season is done. We pray it in your name. Amen. When I was a kid, I had to memorize and then regurgitate the same thing every Christmas Eve. I can still remember the words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to (laughs) register. Ever heard that before? Uh, That's Luke chapter two, the most famous version of the Christmas story. When I was a kid and my mom forced me to put on the uncomfortable church shoes, I'd have to stand up with the Sunday school Christmas program and recite the same old story. I tried to zoom through it so I could get to the little brown paper bag with the candy and the fruit in the bottom (laughs) and rush home to get the presents, what I really wanted on Christmas Eve. Which, in all those years, I think I missed something really, really important. I missed the fact that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Do you know what Caesar Augustus was? Uh, He was the first Roman emperor. He was actually the adopted great-nephew of Julius Caesar. He ruled from about 27 B.C. to about 14 A.D., when Jesus was about a a teenager entering his 20s. He was famous for bringing the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, to the empire. And he was not a Christian. He was not a follower of the God of the Old Testament. In fact, he saw himself as divine, as literally part of the, the gods, a son of the gods, themselves. And it wasn't just Caesar Augustus. He issued the decree while Quirinius was governor of Syria. You know who Quirinius was? (laughs) The short version, he was not a godly man. He did not worship the the true God that Christians worship today. So why am I telling you all that at Christmas? Well, can you imagine around the Christmas season living in a place where not everyone who calls the shots is a follower of Jesus? Crazy, huh? If you're anything like me, you've been inundated this year with midterm elections and fear and anxiety. Who's going to get into office? What's going to happen to our country? We heard again and again, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And for some of us, even as Christian people, we put our hope in the results of that election. Like, life can only be good and God can only bless us if these people are in power. So, if that's how you feel, let me regurgitate the words I learned as a kid. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. And guess who also went up to his own town to register? Joseph. And guess who he took with him? Mary. And when they got down to Bethlehem, guess who was born? Jesus. (laughs) So the greatest thing in the world that gives us hope and forgiveness and salvation, a place in God's family, a place in heaven. Guess when it happened? While Caesar Augustus was on the throne. When unchristian, ungodly people were calling the shots. So, Christians, I don't care where you live. I don't care who your senders or representatives. It doesn't matter who our president, who sits on the Supreme Court. What matters more than anything is that God is not bound by human authority. That God does great things in bad times. So next time you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, next time you open the paper, next time the cable news makes you afraid, maybe you could recite and memorize the same words I did as a kid. In those days, Caesar Augustus. And you could smile and remember that our God does incredible things in very difficult times. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, when you were born, there were not good people making decisions. When you died on the cross, the Roman Empire was led and the church was governed by people who did not have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And when you rose from the dead, when you conquered death and accomplished our salvation, it wasn't because all the people were in the right positions of authority. It's because you're God and you do what's best for your people. I pray you would make us as Christians abnormal. In a world that lives in fear and puts us hope in the headlines and elections, help us to be the kind of people who put our hope in you because you're God and you're our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that even in difficult times, you are working everything out for the good of those you love, for your church, for us. We pray this all confidently and with so much hope because we pray it in your name. Amen. So you're trying not to get arrested on the way to the Christmas party. You're late. Your hot dish has turned lukewarm in the backseat. You're trying not to speed too quickly because you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of the new boss. And that's when you see the orange sign, Detour. And you panic. You, you turn left hoping the detour will be short and it's not. You end up on back roads, country roads. You get turned around. The GPS reminds you, recalculating. And you try not to use God's name in vain and make it to the party. Detours are frustrating, aren't they? When you think you're just going to get from this place to that place in the shortest possible route and then someone doesn't allow you to take the most direct access. And life is often like that, isn't it? Like, you have a plan in your own mind to get from this place to that place. You know, you're going to finish your education and graduate and then you're going to get a good job. You're going to go on a date and that date's going to be with that special someone and you're going to fall in love and plan the wedding and have kids. You're going to pursue your career and you're going to get this promotion and then that one and you're going to retire early. Like, in our minds, life is a straight shot. But you probably learned what I have. That God has a way of detouring us. Sometimes the road is blocked. Sometimes things go wrong with your health. Sometimes you lose your money. Sometimes the stock market goes bad. Sometimes your kid gets sick. Sometimes the the company is crazy. Sometimes there's injustice and someone else gets the promotion. Sometimes you, you study and you work hard and you can't even find a job in your field. Sometimes you get detoured and you try not to use God's name in vain. If that's you and you're kind of frustrated where God has taken your path in life, I want you to think about Christmas. And I want you to think about the incredible detour that God orchestrated way back in the first century. The detour that led to your salvation. Let me read to you some of the words of Luke, chapter 2. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Jumping to verse 4. So, Joseph also went out from the town of Nazareth, in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. (laughs) Can you even imagine that detour? Like, here you are and God has just train wrecked your life. You you find out that your fiancé is pregnant and she's still a virgin. And so you come up with this plan to get from that situation to here. And then Caesar Augustus issues a decree. And now you have to pack up your pregnant fiancé and there is no coach bus and you have to travel 90 miles down to your hometown in Bethlehem And did you notice that Joseph also went up? Because he literally did. (laughs) Nazareth to Bethlehem is a climb of about 1,400 feet in elevation. Joseph was walking on his two legs. Maybe they had a a beast of bird and a donkey or a horse they could ride. But this was a a grueling journey. Can you imagine how Mary and Joseph must have wanted to use God's name in vain? What what was he doing? What was he up to? But if you read the Bible, you know the answer to that question. He was up to saving you. In the Old Testament, God had said that a virgin would be with child and give birth to a son. And that son would be Emmanuel, God with us. And that child had to be born in Bethlehem, as the prophet Micah said in Micah 5, verse 2. And that family had to come from the line of David, like God once promised King David in 2 Samuel, chapter 7. It was a detour, but not just to waste time, but to get the right people in the right places so the right person could be born for your forgiveness. And I want you to remember that when life is frustrating. When God detours you and you think that your route would have been so much better, I want you to remember Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I want you to remember that roundabout journey to Bethlehem and what God accomplished. And I want you maybe to repeat the words of Proverbs chapter 3 trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So have faith in your Heavenly Father. Smile when He says, detour. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, the most natural thing in the world is to think that we know better than you. Uh, To think that somehow our plans would make us more blessed than yours. We ask for your forgiveness for thinking in such a proud way. And we pray that you would give us the humility and the trust that we need to believe in you when days are confusing. God, when our plans don't turn out, help us to remember that you are God and that your son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, is sitting at your right hand and everything is underneath his feet. Take away our fear, our nervousness, our anxiety that things weren't, won't work out. Help us to trust your detours and your plans for our lives. We pray all this in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. Did it ever bother you that the shepherds show up at Christmas? When you see the little manger scene and there's the baby Jesus and there's Mary and Joseph and there's like, you know, two, three, four shepherds kneeling down with the shepherd's crooks in their hands. Does it ever strike you as weird? Uh, because it should. Some scholars say that shepherds in the first century were not the best people in town. Some of the rabbis, actually, in Jesus' time, refused to let a shepherd testify in court because they said everything that came out of a shepherd's mouth could not be true. (laughs) They were known for stealing, for lying, for snatching sheep from other people's flocks. Shepherds were scoundrels, according to many. And even if that scholarship is a touch questionable, it seems legit to me, but let's say it's not. Think of who these men were. These are guys working with animals during the third shift. Think of people today who work with animals. Or people who work like third shift work. They're they're normally not kings or governors or princes. They're normally not the richest people in our city. And yet, when the angels showed up with good news of great joy, guess who they showed up to first? The shepherds. I love the end of the Christmas story in Luke, chapter 2. It says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. That's incredible news for people like us. What the angel said, that there is good news that will bring great joy to all the people, actually means all the people. Which means it includes you. (laughs) Because maybe like the shepherds, you haven't lived the best life. Maybe there's more than one or two lies in your past. Maybe you've done some things and people don't trust you anymore. Maybe you've messed up a marriage. Maybe you've fallen into an addiction. Or maybe you've just struggled with the same pride or jealousy or anxiety. Not week after week, but decade after decade. Maybe you think that you don't belong that close to Jesus. But then there's the shepherds. Or maybe you're just a third shift worker. Or a farmer. Maybe you take care of animals or run a daycare. Maybe you haven't changed the world just yet. Maybe you do regular work and no one knows your name and your great-grandchildren probably won't know who you even were. (laughs) But if that's you, if your average Facebook post gets two to six likes and maybe a couple more views, I have really good news for you. That the shepherds got close to Jesus. Because the angels were right, there is good news for great joy. For sinful people, for normal people, for average people and amazing people, Jesus was born as the Savior, not just of a few, but of the whole world. So next time you see that manger scene, Smile that your Savior Jesus is in that manger and then take a good look at the shepherds and remember that this news, this Jesus, is really for all people. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming for me and for us. Thank you that we never have to wonder if we made the cut or if you're going to grade us on some moral curve. We love the fact that you so love the world, God, that you gave your only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but receive eternal life. God, we might have a great Christmas this year. might be an average Christmas. might be a mediocre Christmas, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you love us and that you came in the world to save us from our sins. Help us to rejoice in that, to put our hope in that, and to find peace in that this Christmas season. We ask it all, Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen. I wish you could have seen my grandma's sweatshirts. (laughs) Before my grandma Novotny passed away, she used to wear, like, these standard-issue, cheap, gray sweatshirts. Like, on sale at Fleet Farm, maybe picked them up at Goodwill. I don't know. But then she would stitch these little angels on the chest. (laughs) And the angels were like the, you know, the classic angel, the chubby baby who's at risk for onset diabetes (laughs) in a little diaper with little wings. I mean, these cute little kind of grandma angels. And growing up, I was never afraid of angels. I mean, if an angel like that appeared in my bedroom, I would be a little confused, but not at all terrified. Which proves that my grandma really didn't know what angels were like. Do you know the Christmas story? In Luke chapter 2, uh, listen to these words. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, like third shift, tough workers, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, just one angel, but them, plural, shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were amused. <laughs> no, that's not what the Bible says. It says they were terrified. A little verse is actually really powerful when it comes to Christianity. When, when regular people, sinful people, stand in the presence of something holy, like not even the holy God, just one holy angel, they're terrified. It's kind of like when, when you go to the gym if you're really, really out of shape and you get on the treadmill walking really slowly and some like, you know, misfitness gets on the treadmill next to you and you instantly like, like feel like you don't belong. It's a little bit how the shepherds felt. They knew they did not belong in the presence of holiness. It, it terrified them, even as grown men. And that theme kind of runs throughout the Gospels and throughout the entire Bible. When someone would walk into the presence of God, they often went smile or laugh or sing or dance. They'd be terrified. I mean, Think of Moses at the burning bush. He takes off his sandals and he's terrified. Isaiah, who's a really good guy by worldly standards, when he walked into the throne room of God himself, he thought he was going to die. He was terrified. When the apostle Peter after the miraculous catch of fish realized that the Jesus in his boat was not just some guy, but he was the son of God, he was terrified. But that's why I love the Christmas story. The next verse says this, but but the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news." Christmas is essentially not just about some Jesus, some cute baby in the manger who would give us some good advice. Mm-hmm but he would bring good news that we would not have to be terrified of the presence of God. So that one day when you take your last breath and you stand in the presence of all the holy angels, of God the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit himself, instead of falling on your face in fear and terror like you're going to die, you could smile because there is good news that brings great joy. And it's all possible because of that Jesus in the manger. So if you ever see a sweatshirt like my grandma's, you can know that's not quite true. You can remember the glory of the angels and even better, you can remember the glorious news that you're going to stand and worship Jesus right next to those amazing angels. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, our, our world teaches us that we belong in your presence. That all of us are good enough. Why, why wouldn't you accept us? But the shepherds found out that's not true. I thank you, God, for this reminder to take our sinfulness seriously. To remember that holiness is, is a big deal and it's terrifying without your grace. But thank you even more that there is grace. That there is good news of great joy for all people, people like us. Help us to come to you in honest repentance and to remember that your mercy and your forgiveness is so good that we don't have to be afraid. That we can be part of your family. You love and delight and adore us. And one day when we see you, we won't have to fear. Instead, we can just worship for all eternity. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. And thank you for this incredible news. We pray to all Jesus in your amazing name. Amen.